0: Welcome to On Belief, a podcast from Victoria University's Emmanuel College in the University of Toronto. I'm your host, Nahid Mustafa. On Belief is a home for conversations about the place of faith in the public sphere, what happens when God meets public life and shapes our culture and our politics. We'll explore the challenging questions about the role of religion in the 21st century and whether it can exist harmoniously alongside the modern ideals of a secular society. Muslim in Canada has mostly come to mean a religious identity, but in the past, in other places, it had a far more expansive meaning, taking in religion and ethnicity and culture. Being Muslim went beyond religious ritual observance and often said something about where one came from, what food one ate, and which language one spoke. As Muslims leave their countries of origin and make this one their home, they are reimagining the ways in which they engage with their Muslim identities. They are reviving conversations about the potential for expanding Muslim to once again encompass more than just a religious identity. El-Amin abdul Mahmoud, Bano Murtaza, and Samira Muhyiddin were all born elsewhere, and they've all come to call Canada home. And despite widely different backgrounds, they have each grappled with the question What does it mean to call oneself Muslim?
1: My name is Elamine Abdul Mahmood. I'm a social media producer, social media editor for BuzzFeed Canada, and I'm an editor of news curation with BuzzFeed News. So uh, I deal with the presentation of news stories to uh, people on social media in all different kinds of ways. So I was born in Sudan. Um I uh, was born in Sudan in 1988 and I didn't move to Canada until I was 12. Um so the year 2000. Um uh Sudan is a very religious Muslim conservative country. Um I grew up going to mosque as often as I could. Um I grew up surrounded by people who would, you know, like leave class in order to go pray in the middle of the day. Um, and I grew up in a school that took religion very seriously. you know I talk about this all the time because its it's very interesting to me um, how I think about religion now because I 'm sort of trying to work backwards. I came when i was I came to Canada when I was twelve, and so a lot of my religious knowledge, a lot of my religious thinking is sort of still in Arabic, and my Arabic hasn 't developed past the age of twelve and so i I literally don't have the language. Um, to sort of sort through my thinking about religion in Arabic and i 've had to kind of continue it in english and that 's been uh, a weird intellectual dilemma for me well, I think as I just become you know more engrossed in in Canadian culture but also in general in just in speaking English through my daily life um, i 've noticed that my thinking has become less religious because I just don 't have those symbols in my daily language. Um, So I've really struggled with that particular transition because um, I used to think of myself as someone who was grounded in those social rituals. Um, And so as my Arabic slowly faded away or got stuck at the age of 12, um, and my English developed a little bit further beyond that to, you know, high school level, university level, um, all of my intellectual um, grounds kind of grew with the exception of religion because I literally don't have the language to evolve it further.
2: Okay, so my name is Banu Murtaza, and I am a serial entrepreneur. So I run a couple of businesses. Uh, One of them is a record label, which also has an Islamic arts educational component. And the other is something I'm just about to launch, which is a marriage service. My father's an imam, Um, but for a long time whilst I was growing up, he wasn't around and my mum, although she's much more into her faith now, uh, really was much more cultural when I was growing up than she was sort of driven by
3: the rules of Islam. Uh, my name is Samira Moyadin. I am a journalist and uh, restaurateur. Um, I'm Iranian. We, My parents and I uh, and my siblings came to Canada in 1979. Uh, a couple months after the Iranian Revolution. We landed on May 4th, 1979, and moved to uh, Drummondville, Quebec, which is a very small town uh, in uh, eastern eastern Quebec, I believe. And we went there because my aunt, who came here in the late 60s, had an industrial farm. So my first introduction to Canada was baling hay, tapping maple syrup trees, stuff like that was very nice. But after about 10 months, my parents couldn't handle it there anymore because they went from a Tehran metropolis to you know, a farm farm town. So we came to Toronto and moved to York Mills and Don Mills area. So Islam for me was
2: very much uh, dressed up as a set of cultural rules. It was, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do this and you have to do this, this and this but without any real rhyme or reason as to why. Um, and also with a lot of gendered perspective, with a lot of, well, I'm, you're the youngest and you're, you're the only girl, so you have to do this, this, and this, but everybody else can do other stuff. So for me, growing up, I had a very conflictual relationship with Islam. I had a very conflictual relationship. I, I was um, vehemently, uh, I, had, I had I had just such staunch belief up until I was about seven or eight. And then um, things, as things do, certain events happen in your life, which, uh, which led me for the next sort of four to five years, just really praying really, really hard for Allah to change stuff, right? You know, and my father had said to me as I was growing up, as long as you pray and you pray from your heart, Allah listens, Allah will will answer your prayers. And so these sort of five to seven years, I prayed morning, noon and night that Allah change the, the situation, circumstances of my family. And lo and behold, nothing happened. Um, probably because we weren't doing a great deal to change the circumstances of our family. And I just got to one day where I just, I went into a a bathroom stall of all places and closed the door and said to God, Okay, if by the time I open this bathroom door, the world hasn't changed and everybody's not different, then I'm not going to believe in you anymore. And, you know, I was actually having this conversation with Allah and I opened the door and nothing was different. And so then I felt that that was it. I wasn't going to believe in Allah anymore because I'd had this conversation and he hadn't changed the world for me. There was no miracle and... You know, a light hadn't shone and choirs weren't playing in the background. And so then, um, and then that, that involves so between 13 to kind of 18, 19, a very, uh, just a complete denial of even believing in God. Um, and yet I would have flaming rows with him in private, flaming rows. Um, until one day a friend of mine in college said to me, you know, if you're talking to him, you believe in him, right? Like, and it was this sort of, uh, just this slap in the face because you kind of think, how did I not realize this? And then, and then I went on a search to say, well, okay, but then I don't believe in him with a mosque. I don't think that the mosque is his house then. You know, if I'm going to accept that I believe in him, um, but these rules and things uh, were so difficult for me growing up then I'm going to figure out what his house looks like. Is it a church? Is it a temple? Is it a synagogue? And I looked into every other faith, uh, as a means of disproving the faith I'd grown up in. Um, and none of them sat with me. None of them made sense. And then I started to look into Islam almost as a, well, I will disprove it by itself then. Um, challenge and funnily enough just the more I got to know Allah independently of Muslims and independently of um, what I was told about him by uh, people around me and the more I got to know the prophet peace and blessings be upon him the more I fell in love Uh, and really that
3: is my faith it was just a love affair. You know, my my home was not religious at all. In fact, I think, I often use the word tainted because um, my parents' experience with Islam was not a nice one. You know, they sort of saw their country taken apart by uh, religion and they the whole reason they came to Canada was because of what had happened in Iran and the Islamic government coming to power. So I never had a sort of neutral uh, view of the religion growing up. My um, mother, for instance, this is a story that whenever we would come into the house, we would take off our shoes and leave them at the door and she would get very angry and say, this is not a mosque, don't leave your shoes at the front of the, at the, front of the door. So she either wanted us to put our shoes, keep our shoes on, or put them in the closet. Like open the door and put them in the closet. But her example was always, this is not a mosque. My experience with Islam mostly had to do with my experience with Iran or being Iranian. It was never something that was separate. I never prayed in a mosque. Um, I never wore hijab. My mother never wore hijab. Or she, in Iran they did go to mosque, but not uh, in Canada. And it was always something that I suffered uh, because of what was happening in Iran. And by suffered, I mean, you know, this racism, um, being called a Paki, for instance, even though we were never from Pakistan. Uh, for some reason, racists were always geographically challenged. They didn't really know, you know, exactly where you were from. It was just, you, you were brown. So the word Paki was the big thing that was passed around in the early 80s. And, you know, I, I didn't really... Come to understand Islam until I took it in university. Um, I did my undergrad in Islamic studies, so my parents were not too thrilled about that. You know, they said, We didn't bring you here from Iran for you to study Islam. And it was for me, I needed to understand what it was that first. Brought everybody, you know, brought my family to this country. What it was that made my my native Iran go crazy? You know, what is this religion that, for some reason, seemed to bring out so much emotion in in everybody? Because when I looked at my own family, we weren't particularly religious people. When someone passed away, or I don't know, there was uh, it was New Year's or some by New Year's I mean Eid, or Eid as some people call it we observed those things. They were cultural cultural things and, you know, we celebrated or we mourned in that uh, way that was culturally fitting. But, you know, in terms of fasting or prayer, none of that was ever done. So I didn't understand where these definitions of Muslim and, and what it means to be a, a good Muslim or a bad Muslim came from. So I uh, took these classes in university. I did the undergrad and I didn't know, for instance, all these schisms and hatred that existed between different types of Muslims. And it was only when I went to university that I understood what that was all about. So my first day of Islamic studies class, the teacher said, who is Moyedin? And I put up my hand, and she said, oh, do you know what your last name means? And I really didn't. I I had no clue. And I said, no. And she said, it means revivifier of religion. And I thought, oh, my God, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what are you gonna do? You know, this is a big thing to live up to. Um, and from that moment, I became very close to the professor because most of the people in my class were Muslim, ninety-nine point nine percent of them, and they were observing ob- observant Muslims. And they were all taking this class as an elective, you know, because they wanted to bump up their GPA. So they all knew everything. They knew when Muhammad went to the Hijra. They knew, you know, what, the, what they could totally quote the Quran, no problem. I didn't know any of these things. But the majority of them failed the class because they had no idea of how to think critically about the religion. So when we had to write an essay, for instance, they would just write, oh, the Quran that says this, therefore it's correct. That, to me, also was very interesting because I thought that I was going to do very poorly in that class, but I got 95% in it.
1: Well, uh, so to me, um, the label and the identity of being Muslim has never really been um one specific thing and that's because having grown grown up in sudan like i don't have the cultural like monolithic idea of like this is what muslims do um i grew up with an uncle who called himself a muslim um but he was not especially religious and he never prayed um and we would we'd have but he would always would fast during ramadan um and we'd always be like well i uh, why is this the only way that your faith is coming out Um, and he'd be like just let me be Muslim the way I want to be Muslim Um, and so I've always had that um, flexibility in the the idea and identity of Muslimness Um, I'm only confronted with some odd moments when some people I meet here um, don't necessarily have that flexibility and don't you know for them it means a very specific kind of person I've I've always been pretty comfortable with that with calling myself a muslim in front of people um but that's because I think I've been able to feel pretty comfortable with that because I think in every other way I'm not performing muslimness in front of them you know what i mean so like so to me it's like it is just a label you know it's just like my name is Elamine, i'm a muslim um but it hasn't had any further implications in my life i don't think for the, at least for the past 15 years or so i've never um i haven't had to haven't had to wear it haven't had to you know take it on with with whatever implications it has had i think a few people have reacted Um, to it interestingly so like I am I'm in a relationship with someone who's not Muslim um, and so I think at the beginning of the relationship uh, my wife's some members of my wife's family were were like well you know are you going to take um, our our family member away to a Muslim country where you will marry her there and I was like no that's not going to happen and in that sense maybe I felt Muslimness but more specifically I think I just felt like strangeness, right? Like, like otherness. Um, and having to, having to explain that, that that's not what that label meant for me. Um, and so in those moments, you become a little bit hyper aware of what that label means for others. But um, for me, it's because I grew up in Sudan and because I, 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 um, I've, been, <laughs> I've been Muslim all my life and it was not that complicated for the first few years of my life. Um, I've, I've never had to think about it as a complicated thing. Um, I think it's a problem for me now, but um, for the, I've been in Canada for 16 years, and I would say for probably like 14 and a half, 15 of it, it has not been a problem in the sense that I just don't think about that part. Um, I'm now starting to revisit that history um, with a bit more fondness, I think, um, because when I came to Canada, there was a... I think there was like an immediate drive to try to just survive, and part of that survival process is is learning to speak the language and learning to engross myself in the culture here. And I think necessarily part of that was like suppressing a part of what I just came from to, to, to say, let's focus on this new thing and try to figure out what how to cope with that. Now that I feel like I've mastered that, um, I think a part of my psyche is like, but where did you come from? Um, I think the other part of it is I'm, I'm about to be a dad. And that that has really changed my perception um, of my relationship with both language language and religion, um, because now that I'm about to be a dad, so you know, my dad would you know tells me the story of um, in the delivery room um, how he was the one who did the adhan. Um, and I'm like, wait, do I have to do that? Does somebody else have to do that? I know enough Arabic to do it, you know. Um, I speak it fluently. That's still the language that I speak when I call my parents, um, and I call them as often as I can. But um, in terms of performing like a, a very religious function. I am sort of stuck at the age of 12 um, and not having developed that any further. Um, I don't feel confident in those abilities. And I'm having these moments of being like, well, do I want to grow those abilities? Do I want to develop that further? I don't really know.
2: Well, I mean, like I said, my dad wasn't around for a really long time. Um, And because he wasn't around, I mean, and it wasn't his choice. It was just circumstances meant that he wasn't able to be when he was able to sort of come back in and, and, and be around full time. Um, I had already built this picture of him in my head. He was a, he was on the one part. He was a superhero because kids often think that the parent that's not around because they're off working or whatever is the superhero. Um, and then in on the other i had bought in hook line and sinker to all of the stereotypes that i was seeing about what a traditional imam would be like and would think and would feel about a daughter that questioned her faith um so then i sat down and i told him and i said you know dad i don't i don't think i believe in in islam anymore and and i fully expected him to throw me out of the house and you know go ballistic because that's what everybody had told me like the media and the TV and everybody had told me that would happen and he told me uh how much he loved me and that he understood um and sent me off on holiday to my aunts in Denmark um and that's where I spent six weeks on holiday and he rang me up every day and told me how much he loved me and that things were going to be okay and I came home and It was really, I think he gave me a lot of space, um, a lot of time to explore my own uh, thoughts, my own views. And, you know, I think it's only when you're an adult do you really understand how much your parents know you. And my dad knew me well enough to know that had he come down on me like a ton of bricks or had he said no you must think this or you must believe this then i would have rebelled just for the sake of rebelling because i don't do being told what to believe very well but he realized that i was the kind of person that once i came to my own conclusion that's what i would stick to and so that's why he gave me the space that i needed to come to those conclusions i think it comes from the fact that he knows me in a really in a really um profound way but it also comes from the fact that he follows the prophetic example um, of being merciful in the most um, in the most un- un- unexpected of ways, really. And my dad always surprises me. When I expect him to go calm, he'll go nuts over something. <laughs> and when I expect him to go nuts over something, he's just he's just love like just total love. Um and even now, you know, I like as old as I am. I'm I'm better at predicting him, but still I'm I'm still off the mark sometimes. But I really do believe that it comes from, you know, he profoundly believes that um you know, there is no compulsion in in faith. But he also um and this is something that I've realized as I've gotten older and reflected on it, we're from a very small but very tight knit Muslim community um, in the UK. And so a lot of how he articulated faith was because that's where people were at, right? So he talked to people where they were at. But the more I've gotten to know Islam and studied myself, and, and actually I've gone, I've done a lot of studying with a lot of teachers the more I've realized that my father is an incredibly knowledgeable man about Islam. His Islam is not cultural in the slightest. He really does know a great deal. Um, And I think it comes from that. I think it came from the fact that he knew Islam enough to know that, and he knew me enough to know that all he had to do was give me the space that I needed to explore it. And he had enough faith in his faith to see that I would... it would relate to me and I would relate to it.
3: The major, major thing that occurred for me was when 9-11 happened. And because of where I was born, all of a sudden, again, I saw myself as being Muslim. You know, being Islam was always something that was always in my back pocket and others would remind me of the fact that you are Muslim. It was never something that I sort of wore or uh, even referred to myself as. People would always remind me. And I think it had to do with my name because, you know, Samira is a uh, quote-unquote Arabic name. And then the last name, as I said, you know, means revivifier of religion. So it was always something that I was constantly reminded of. And then when 9-11 happened and Iran became part of the Axis of Evil, um, we were trying to cross into the border. I was with my mother and brother. And my brother, a week before, um, you know, he had this big beard. And my mother said to him, please, shave your beard, you know, we don't want any trouble at the border. And we were driving through. And we got to the border, and my brother was born here in in 1981. And we got to the border, and they wanted nothing to do with Amir. My brother's name is Amir. Uh, Because he was born in Canada. It was my mom and I who had our retina scanned and our fingerprints taken. And I remember the look on my mother's face, and I was mortified at the way she was being treated. And again, this was sort of the reminder that you know, don't you know? Don't think you're you're Canadian. No, you're you were born here, and therefore, you know, suspect or prone to bouts of terrorism. I have no idea. Um, so there there were these constant reminders, and then there was a project that I had agreed to be involved in that sort of um, interviewed or took pictures of queer Muslims. And I I agreed to do it because I thought it was important to sort of show that we exist. You know. Um, and also at the same time, it made me a little uneasy because I felt like a zoo animal or something, you know, people saying, oh, look, a queer Muslim, they exist, you know, you sort of feel like a polar bear, uh, in the middle of summer. And that was also difficult because I feel in a lot of ways, you know, I, I don't know which comes first, the queer part or the Muslim part or who I'm supposed to be defending at what time. Or, and every, every community puts different pressures on you. So that my relationship with Islam has always been not a struggle in terms of trying to reconcile my gayness with my Muslim identity, but more trying to reconcile my own feelings about the religion because I have such a tainted, tainted view of it, you know? I wasn't always comfortable with calling myself Muslim, um, particularly in my teens and early teens. It was something that I vehemently denied because I didn't observe and I felt like a, a bit of an imposter. And nowhere did I feel that more when I went to Iran in 1999. Um, in Iran, it's mandatory that everybody wear the hijab. And I really felt like an imposter when I was there because. I didn't even know how to wear it, I, you know, and in a lot of ways I was embarrassed to think like, okay, I don't even know how to put this thing on, you know, I, I, I was struggling with it, and I think calling myself that did make me feel like an imposter. It, was, it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I thought to myself, okay, everybody sees me as Muslim, fine, I'll be a Muslim, but this is the type of Muslim that I am, and I think there is room for my type of Islam. You know, and one of the things that I think that's important for everyone to, to sort of keep in mind is that there are as many types of Judaism or as many types of Christianity, there are that many types of Islam and Muslims. You know, it's not a sort of um, closed religion. There are many ideas flourishing. There are many people and many different ways to practice or not practice even. My The process of me sort of being okay or taking on taking on that identity really had to do with in a lot of ways, just being shit on for it, you know, uh, and people being extremely racist and Islamophobic towards me is the reason why I took it on or was okay with it. Because I thought, okay, if you're going to treat me this poorly, then there's something going on here, you know. And I, you know, I do have a sort of social activist feel about my, you know, I, I do sort of carry myself in that way. My, my ideas or politics do lean to left. However, it was just people's attitudes towards the religion that made me say, okay, you know, you, I am Muslim. Let's, what are you going to do about it? It was almost like a confrontational thing for me to sort of show people that, no, we can be like this. I am a Muslim, you know, and I am queer at the same time. We do exist, you know, even though I don't observe, it was still something that I think that I was entitled to.
1: I feel this this tension and I and it's always a tension between um, Where I identify myself as coming from because if I identify myself as someone who's coming from Sudan um, And is not of this place even though like I feel of this place But if I if, if those moments if I'm identifying myself as someone who's not from here um, In those moments, I sort of don't feel the, the, that it's necessary to explain it at all So in my head, it's there's no conflict there at all um but if there are moments where I am feeling particularly like I've adapted to my homeland and there is somebody um, asking me a question about you know being a Muslim, um I think in those particular moments um I sort of have to explain it a little bit further. Like, well I'm Muslim, but like, you know, um so but that really means I just like don't eat pork. Like that's how it plays out in my life or like whatever whatever simple explanation I'm giving at that particular moment. Um, but most of the time there's no, there's no great conflict until this dad thing popped up. This is, this is a whole new thing that I'm sort of slowly working through because so like one of the things that I've talked about with my wife is that, um, I want, um, our children to have an Arabic first name and an English middle name. And I, and I keep using this analogy, and she really hates it, but I keep using this analogy of like, I want their name to be a constant reminder of the fact that they're not from here. Um, like sort of an anchor in the sense that, you know, it, it ties them to some other identity, but also just like something heavy that they have to lug around for the rest of their lives. Um, and... And and it sh- it should be a burden, you know. I think, um, in the sense that you should be aware constantly that a part of you doesn't come from here. For me, I have that pretty easy because I was I was born elsewhere, um, and I speak Arabic, and so like I I get to live out those parts of my life my life with with no particular conflict. Um, Muslim is not a complicated identity for me. Neither is black, for that matter. Um, and so I don't have to take on what they mean. Um, in in North American or Canadian context, because I already have a previous established context for them. It's it's very surprising to me that, you know, the minute that I found out that I'm going to be a dad, um, I had to start thinking about, well, wait a minute, this means something for my children who are not here yet. uh, And they have to sort through this, and we don't share the same position. They don't share the same comfort with knowing exactly what this identity is. Um and so for them this will be a conflict and they will have to they have to go through it and come out at some some side. And my role in that is to present some sort of clear idea, um, of of being like the, the Muslim anchor. And I'm like, Can I do that? I'm not sure I can. i because to me, growing up in Sudan is like being Muslim was like part of the ritual thing and so I I there's no way I would have come to Canada and then questioned that I was a Muslim, even if I stopped doing those things. But if I'm calling myself a Muslim in front of my children and I'm not doing any of those things, uh, and they're not doing them with me, it's like, what are we calling Muslim at all? Uh, it's not important that it has to be tied to some specific action. Um, I just have to be at peace with that, and I don't think I am yet. Um, and. And of course, that's okay um, on an intellectual level, but on an emotional level, um, in my head, there's like there's a, there's some, I don't know, there's some sort of knowledge base that, that comes with being Muslim. Um, there's a language, there's a cultural language, there's, a, there's an understanding. Um, and maybe that's what I'm struggling to, to identify is, is w- what that Muslimness is because I, I just grew up with it. And now I have to go back and parse it. With with very poor language skills, um, because I only have these rudimentary skills to be like, well, somewhere in there, you know, I got tattooed with Muslimness, and I gotta figure out what part of that is 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 in this identity, and maybe it's the whole thing, but but it's a process. Like I gotta I gotta parse it. Is is Muslim something you feel in your heart? You know, I don't know. I I honestly don't know. Um, and answering that question will be important to me in the next five months or so um, if I'm going to be able to tell my kids, like, this is how you be a Muslim. Not a good Muslim, just a Muslim.
3: There's a lot of people who say, well, you can't be Muslim, you're gay. And I find that usually it's not Muslims who are saying that. I find that it's other other people who are saying that to me. Or they say, but you don't even practice how can you be Muslim when you don't go to mosque or you don't, do this or that. I mean, when I was a baby and I of course I asked my parents this, I had the shahada, you know, whispered in my ear. So it my muslimness really had nothing ever to do with me. I feel like it was never a decision that I made. You know, the shahada was whispered in my ear as an infant and then I was cast as a muslim by the American government and the Canadian government and you know uh, my last name and it was always this, this, this something that was bestowed upon me. And I was never okay with it until you know I would say probably five or six years ago, and it was an identity that I took on because I wanted to say, well, there are other types of people who claim this claim this um identity i don't you see i
2: don't think that somebody else's use of Muslim as being different to my use of Muslim somehow limits or da- endangers my use of Muslim if other people want to say, well, I'm Muslim with a small M, then that's their prerogative. Um, but there is, uh, unfortunately, often what you'll find is, is that you get some voices that shout the loudest that want to change the broader narrative. 1,400 years later are saying, well, we have to change the Qur'an um, or, you know, these practices are no longer okay. And that for me is problematic because I don't believe that... I have always, in my entire search of faith, I have always struggled with the idea that the current norms of a society are then used to determine what the divine should or should not regulate. Because that for me is inherently contradictory. If you are talking about the divine being, the creator, God, then you don't get to decide based on your social norms and your acceptability what God's rules should or shouldn't be. And therein lies and that's really that would be the uh, the, the the extent of my issue with it but beyond that if you have got no you don't want to change the rules of Allah but you want to live your life as you want to live your life and you want to continue to call yourself a Muslim then go at it like what am I why would I get involved that's none of my business
1: Um, having ritual, um, having clothing, having those specific actions um are really easy ways to define Muslimness. And you know what? They they sort of act as a bit of a shortcut um to say, like, I'm not sure you even need to feel particularly Muslim. It's like if you do those things, we know you're a participant of this culture. Um and I think without them I would be a little bit adrift because now I like I I don't pray often. Um, I go to the mosque when I like visit my parents, um, but that's that's about it. Um, but I know that those rituals are the things that tether me to the identity of Muslim. And I think if I didn't have them, um, would still be able to comfortably call myself Muslim. But I don't know why. Like I don't know what it is that would be tethering me to that identity. Um, and I suspect. I would have an easier time with it because I was born elsewhere where those rituals were around all the time. So I just absorbed the physical, you know, and intellectual knowledge of them. And so if my children didn't have that, um, I'd just be like, what is tethering you to that identity? You know, Um, now (laughs) I should say that this is a strange thing that's a little bit unique to Muslimness in the sense that you, you certainly don't see Jewish people having these conversations, I don't think. Um, I think like if you grew up around Jewishness, if you don't necessarily practice the rituals, um, you're still fairly comfortable claiming, you know, um, the identity. Um, but for, for me, in this particular case, I'm 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 struggling with saying, you know, I don't know what it is that tethers me to it. I don't know. But that's sort of the tension that you have to live with as someone who. Is a first generation, maybe second generation. Like that tension is still very, very present. Um, so, you know, one of the difficult one of the difficult periods of my life, and they're totally fine now. But one of the difficult periods of my life was um, when my when I was uh, when I decided that I want to marry my then girlfriend, now wife, um, because my parents initially had pretty strong opposition to that. Uh, my mom changed her mind and she came to the wedding. My dad did not. Um, and for, for some time, like we were not on very good speaking terms. Um, and that, that was an you know, enormous guilt and that was entirely over the Muslim identity. Um, my dad eventually changed his mind. Um, and so since then, like he's met my wife, uh, they really love each other, um, which has made things a lot easier for me. Um, but disappointment and betrayal is still very much at the heart of this. It's like the reason that it was so difficult is because, um, I was clearly intellectually shifting my definition of Muslimness to be something that isn't what my dad defined it as. Um, and even as I grew more comfortable with that, I, I grew more uncomfortable with the idea of betraying his idea of Muslimness. And so that's, that's the tension that I, you have to live with. Um, because, you know, it's like a, it's a horrifically cliche kind of tension. Um, the one that we had, you know, the, the, the son who wants to marry the non-Muslim girl after they move to the West, um, and the you know, I mean, like we've seen these movies before, you know. Um, and so, I think I think part of the guilt that I absorbed was was I knew what he was thinking, but the other part of it is I was totally pulling from these already established cultural norms. Um, about like this is the part where you feel really guilty about this um, So it was not it wasn't like I was like well I'm just gonna be able to square my own Muslimness with myself and just continue living my life It was like no. No, I will carry this guilt um, Because I'm not fulfilling Some inherited idea of what it means to be Muslim <laughs> The fact that my parents are immigrants from Sudan uh, means that they fought particularly hard in a particular way Um to sort of make sure that Muslimness was very present, um, aggressively so, and um, so rejecting it, or rather redefining it to some to be something like that's much looser, is like like an emotionally difficult decision because it's sort of a rejection of of my parents' definition of Muslimness, and so I think part of it is tied up in in, you know, in disappointment. I think my dad would be very disappointed if he were to, to hear that. I am only a cultural Muslim, um, but I don't know. But, but maybe that's why I've never really thought of it that way. I think several generations down, it seems to be just a, a natural process that a lot of families have where people um, naturally gravitate towards the idea that it is purely something that is social, something that is cultural for them, and um, not necessarily tied in the, in the religious practices.
2: I think we're too exclusionary. To be honest, um, this is something that in raising our children, we've had to we've had to negotiate with quite a bit because obviously your children take different positions to you on many things. They choose and they choose different opinions. They choose to to behave in different ways, in ways that you don't always think are acceptable. Um, and so one of the things that we've been quite, my husband and I have been quite um conscious of and often talk about is as long as it's within like as long as it's not something that takes you out of the faith and it's within the broadest paradigms that you can imagine somewhere as long as somebody has said yeah it's perfectly acceptable for you to do this then we're okay with it so rather than draw lines We try as much as possible to be as inclusion as inclusionary as we can to different opinions and different views because we realize that it's it's just not conducive Um, and it's not the prophetic way either to say to somebody, well, if you're not doing it this specific way, you're not the right kind of Muslim. I just don't I don't get that really. For those people who say, I don't believe in the rituals, but I I still call myself Muslim, that's between them and Allah. That isn't for me to say, well, you are or you aren't. I do have an issue with people that then come and say, I don't believe in the rituals and I don't believe in X, Y, and Z. So now you have to change X, Y, and Z. That is where I have an issue because... That's them forcing their opinions onto me now and saying I have to change my faith because they don't believe in the rituals, which is problematic for me because I think, look, I haven't got a problem with you. You don't believe in the rituals. Don't you know, I'm not your mum. even if I was. I couldn't really enforce that. But at the same time, you have no right to, to try and force me to have a particular approach to my faith
3: either the term Muslim, I see it as becoming much more expansive. And, and when I say much more, I'm speaking about, you know, in the past 30 years, because I, I rejected it myself when, during my teens, but I see it expanding because of people. And I see different people taking on that identity that, for instance, maybe 15 years ago, I would have never thought that that person would take on that identity. Even though, culturally, they are Muslim. And I think that's a big difference too. You know, for some people, it is it, it is about culture rather than a strict religious, obser- uh, observing religious rituals and, and stuff like that. Just like, Jew- I have a lot of Jewish friends who they are culturally Jewish, you know. Twice a year, they're Jewish. But the rest of the time, you wouldn't even know that they're Jewish. Um, and that's the type of Muslim I think I am, you know. But at the same time, like I said, social justice for me has a lot to do with it. And you know coming from where i did from iran i i always have this lens of p- political islam and what islam mixed with politics has become so as i said i sometimes i wish i was able to just look at the religion on its own and and that's the problem i think that i i'm i'm still doing that for myself i'm still trying to just look at the religion on its own you know and trying to put iran and what has happened to Iran and, and its Islamic Republic away from what religion is. Because right now in Iran, for instance, you'll find the most secular people anywhere. And it, I think it has a lot to do with living under so-called Muslim laws. But as I said, I, I have this tainted view that for me was bestowed upon me. You know, my, my parents are, they believe in God or Allah or whoever you want to call it, but they are not, religious at all. You know, I've, I have Jewish friends who are queer and Jewish, and nobody ever says to them, how do, you, how do you reconcile that? Or I have Christian friends, you know, Christianity is not very friendly towards gays, but nobody ever says that, it it's just seems like it's a given. Oh yeah, you're Christian and gay, for sure. You know, nobody ever questions that. I wanted to redefine the term, and my own friends, you know, will say to me, wait a second, I didn't know you were Muslim. You're not Muslim, but you don't practice or you don't cover, you know, or you you say this or you do that. But I, you know, I don't want to sort of limit myself in that way, but I don't, and I don't see the term as being limiting. You know, I want to flip it on its head. I struggled with this a lot because, especially in writing articles and and um, being asked to participate in, on certain panels and, and stuff like that, it certainly has put me in the public eye by calling myself Muslim um, because it's it, sort of intriguing to people to be like, oh, how is she Muslim? She's, you know, her hair is not covered and she's queer. And um, I don't think it's hindered me uh, professionally or spiritually or mentally in any way. I think in any, if anything, it's sort of helped me um, in my writing, it's helped me in getting jobs, but on the other hand, I think if I was a Muslim who covered up, and and this is people's fetishization of the of the hijab, which I find happens a lot, I would get more jobs. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I I find when I was in university, there was a lot of girls. There were a lot of girls in my class who never wore the hijab. And then after 9-11 happened, a lot of them started wearing it. And it was almost like a big, you know, big middle finger to the powers that be of being like, you know what, I'm going to take this on because you're telling me that, you know, this is a bad thing. And I totally got that sentiment. I know where where it comes from. But I was so hesitant to, to do that because I felt like I was sort of, Again, the imposter thing took over, and I was like, "I can't do this." You know, as much as I'd like to give the middle finger, I think I'm just going to give the middle finger to the, to the to the state. You know, um, yeah. It's a it's a great question to see whether or not it's helped or hindered.
1: Yeah, I think the questioning can be really, really helpful, as much as it can be anxiety-inducing, um, because you you sort of figure out the inner rather the outer limits of yourself. Um, you, you, in the process, you sort of figure out um, what you're willing to choose as one of your defining characteristics and what you're not willing to choose is that. Um, and that's an ongoing process. And I think over the past year, I think I've learned more about myself just asking these questions um, than I have, you know, the last 15 years combined. Um, and what's interesting about that is that it's not just about Muslimness, it's about like trying to, figure out question. figure out, um, answers as to like the kind of person I would like to be, um, and what that means. And these questions I think are just like an entryway to that. It's important for me that my children call themselves Muslim, but that's purely emotional. Um, like in the, in the sense that like if intellectually, like, you know, they came to me and they were like, you know, I don't think I'm really Muslim anymore. Um, I, I, don't think I would have a problem with it, um, but I very like very emotionally because you know I think I'm the last sort of um, I'm an only child and so my parents came here from Sudan and so the idea that religion would be lost one generation into coming to Canada um, would make me really really sad. Um, but that's that's entirely emotional. And I know looking intellectually doesn't necessarily make sense, but it is important to me. It is important to me um for the same reason that it's important to me to give them an Arabic first name um I don't want it to be easy for them to think that they're that they don't come from elsewhere
2: I think the only thing I can hope to do for my children that perhaps our parents didn't do as consciously for us is to give them a pride and a Comfort and a strength in their identity, and for them to know, to truly, truly know their faith. um, So that if they choose to continue with that faith, they know that it's their decision, not that this was something that they grew up with, but because they know it, they believe in it. And if they choose not to, and I would you know, and I do pray that this never, ever happens. But if they choose not to, then that's their decision too. And it's also not a decision I can enforce because after a certain point in time, their faith and their actions become their responsibility. They're no longer mine. But all I can do is hope that I equip them to handle whatever challenges come their way and that their faith is is, is strong enough to be able to handle it.
3: I I think about it because I wish that I didn't have this tainted view of the religion. I wish that my background, you know, wasn't sort of colored with the politics of of the religion itself. Um, I feel like I was robbed of a lot of things, you know, um, I feel like I was robbed of my mother tongue. I feel like I was robbed of sort of having a untarnished relationship with with Islam. Uh, My relationship with it is tarnished. It's tarnished because of politics, because of history, because of my parents. I mean, I'm not blaming them, but, you know, my parents, their backgrounds, and it's just not their parents, my grandparents were very secular people also. And they were Democrats, like back in Iran. And so, you know, I've taken that on, or it's been put on me. Um, So being able to... The reason you know I I wanted to study the religion because if I was going to be critical of something I needed to understand it you know or if I was going to be sympathetic to something I needed to understand it better it wasn't a choice that everyone really understood or liked but it wasn't also something that was going to make me more religious you know I think my parents were a little bit worried about that you know they were like oh all of a sudden she's going to start wearing hijab and you know not allowing us to eat bacon on Sunday mornings or something, but I mean that wasn't the case. you know it just it just let me sort of understand how uh, religions are you know tarnished by sort of nationalism and and politics and 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 the profane activities of what it means to be in sort of a state functions and stuff like that. How would I define Muslim? That's very interesting. I've never done that. Um, I think that I mean there has to be some understandings of a belief in a higher higher power. I think that um, there is a big difference between culturally Muslim and religiously Muslim, and I don't know how to make those distinctions um, because you know you have observant Muslims who pray five times a day or you know will only send their daughters and sons to muslim schools who believe in that sort of segregation between the sexes etc but then you have others who for instance like my aunt who you know she's never worn hijab but she's she does pray you know maybe not in a mosque but she does pray so i i'm i don't know how would i define muslim I feel like I never even got the chance to define that for myself. I feel like that was something that was thrown on me just at the most basic level of, of my last name and of the basic level of where I was born. I happened to be born. So I I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm still defining what that means for myself because I've spent a lifetime trying to navigate what other people have thrown on top of me because of where I was born or because of my last name. And that goes for my parents, too. You know, I'm still trying to shed all of these definitions and then come up with my own or how it's manifesting itself. Um but I'm doing it in the public public eye which is which is interesting for me because I've I've written about it and I've had my photo taken for different projects and so I'm I'm sort of I don't know, playing with that definition as I go along. You know for me, right now, it means being a good person, you know, whenever I can, and for helping people whenever I can, and being sympathetic and empathetic to others. And I mean, it's a very sort of wishy-washy definition when I think about it. It's not something that you can pin down, but being good to me that means being muslim
0: That's it for this episode of On Belief. Thank you to Elamine Abdul Mahmoud, Bono Murtaza and Samira Mohieddin for sharing their thoughts. Music entitled Passage was courtesy of Scott Buckley at scottbuckley.com.au. On Belief is a production of Emmanuel College of Victoria University in the University of Toronto. I'm Nahid Mustafa. Thank you for listening.